Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. The show before the show podcast goes worldwide, worldwide, worldwide. Prestige. Uh, again, yet again, here we are, crossing borders. Um, Sam is back in the United States. I am not, and uh, and here we are. Hi. Yeah, shouldn't you be speaking in some sort of like Mexican accent or like using a Spanish flourish of some sort? Speaking much better Spanish than I am, I will tell you that. Yeah, that is true. Uh, it has come to the point where it is uh, it has gotten embarrassing that I have not yet just like signed up for classes at home and learned Spanish. Like I need to do that when I get home. I also live in a, a very heavily Latino neighborhood now. I need to just like go to my neighbors and be like, hey, what would be the best way for me to do this? Like, do you know somebody who teaches or do you know of a class around that would be good for me? Like, I, it's just time. I'm an idiot. Yeah, I mean, let's let's be clear here. Which we Don't all just knew, speak but... in a Spanish accent just because you're in Mexico. Right, just, right. This will cover it. That was Correct. a bad joke by me. What we should all actually be doing in this global sport we cover is, is learning more about the languages that other players speak and not just being like, hey, you're in the United States now. Speak English. Why well, can't we, we have this discussion in my language? We should be speaking their language as well. Right, so, right. Um, um, I think the entire industry could do better at that. But I will say, uh, everybody here has been unbelievably accommodating, uh, including the the national team of Mexico, which has uh, a lot of guys with ties to the minor leagues, ties to the major leagues, guys who've played in both, guys who are uh, you know from the U.S. but claim uh, Mexican citizenship as well, or vice versa. And uh, those guys are amazing, and they are on to uh, to the next round, which is something we're going to discuss. Uh, but we welcome you into this week's episode of the show before the show from milb.com. My name is Tyler Mon. He is Sam Dykstra. Uh, Sam is back from vacation. Sam was in Ireland recently, which is pretty awesome. How was that? It was great. It was very pretty. Uh, emphasis on the pretty when you say pretty awesome. Um, great time of year to go. All the, the leaves had just been changing. I know when you think of fall, you think of like New England or, or the northeast of the United States. But Ireland is also very picturesque this time of year. Colors other than green. Uh, lots of yellows, lots of reds. And I think we counted nine rainbows for the week. Wow. Uh, which was astonishing. Uh, it, I thought it would be cool to see one or two here and there, you know, make some uh, Lucky Charms jokes. But the fact that we saw nine was was rather insane. It, I know it's not, you know, it's counterintuitive to go to the deeper into the northern hemisphere uh, the closer we get to winter. But if you do get a chance, I recommend going to Ireland in the fall. It's a, it's a gorgeous time. Uh, we lucked out with the rain. It only rained there at the end. Uh, logged 950 miles on the rental car. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a great week to be away, but you know, happy to be back with you, Tyler, talking baseball again and back with everybody else. Well, we're excited to have you back, and uh, we are going to talk some baseball as we get started on this week's episode of the show before the show. Uh, and you know that we have a lack of minor league-related topics to talk about because we're going to talk about the international game to kick things off for strike one. See, I, I don't see it that way. It, it, it's kind of great that we do have five top 100 prospects to talk about, but not just that. It, you can talk about them more intimately than probably anybody else in the world because for those who don't know and don't follow Tyler on Twitter, which you should absolutely do, or have maybe been off baseball Twitter for the last week since the Nationals won the World Series, which is that part is understandable. Uh, Tyler has been the voice of international baseball this past week, working with John Paul Morosi, a lot of you know from MLB Network and other outlets, uh, covering the Premier 12 tournament down in Guadalajara, Mexico. Team USA featuring top five 
or five top 100 prospects. Guys like Joe Adele are on that team. Alec Baum is on that team. Uh, Tyler, what have you seen from that USA team? They clinched uh, a spot in the next round. They're going to Japan. You're going to Japan. Uh, what have you seen of some of these young guys, these young talents that have come together in this special way for USA? It's going to be very interesting to see what this team looks like in Tokyo coming up next week. Uh, the United States started with a 9 nothing victory over the Netherlands uh, back on Saturday. A really very surgical game. They got a run in the first, a run in the second, a run in the third, uh, four in the fifth. Bobby Dahlbeck, the Boston Red Sox second-ranked prospect, had a grand slam in that inning. Uh, they added two more in the ninth, uh, or in the eighth, rather, on the way to the win um, and closed it out and just looked dominant. They used Cody Ponce. To start that game, uh, he went five fantastic innings, and uh, a guy who now, as a, a ball player, you know, you throw him out there uh, to start that game. The Pittsburgh Pirates, now the parent club for Cody Ponce, who was of course drafted in the second round by the Milwaukee Brewers back in 2015. He had been relieving for a lot of this year. He made 27 relief appearances with Biloxi. Then, after a trade uh, to the Pittsburgh organization, he made five starts out of seven appearances. Went to the Arizona Fall League, gets a start for the United States on day one. Fantastic! Uh, throws a ton of strikes. Five innings, couple of hits, five strikeouts, one walk. Uh, but from there, it was one pitcher after another, just one inning each and dominant really throughout. Uh, Noah Song, the Red Sox prospect, the Naval Academy uh, product who is actually supposed to be at flight school right now. He had to get special permission from the Navy uh, to be able to come to this tournament, be on this roster, which is very cool. Uh, Clayton Andrews, a two-way player in the Brewers organization who's a pitcher on this U.S. staff, and then a couple of veteran guys in Brooks Pounders and Clayton Richard. Uh, But terrific day number one. U.S. looked outstanding that day. Nine runs on 11 hits. And then day number two, they go out and play the host nation. And uh, Mexico, a very, really, really talented and really interesting mix of young guys and veteran guys. Mexico really kind of had its way with the U.S. It was a 3-2 to two lead going into the eighth. And Mexico broke things open with a five-run eighth inning. Got a home run from veteran catcher Aliso Lis in that inning, a three-run shot. Uh, but pulled away for a victory and, uh, and knocked off the U.S. 8-2. That put the U.S. into a a do-or-die game against the Dominican Republic on Monday, and the United States came out and took a big lead early. They were leading 7-2 after the third, after the top of the third, Uh, but the Dominican Republic made things very interesting with a four-run bottom of the fifth inning. The U.S. at that point led 9-7. It was kind of a a tense uh, final stretch of that game, but able to close it out. Uh, It has been... An interesting few days. Premier 12 in 2019 uh, is the the biggest international baseball event of the year. It encompasses the top 12 ranked national teams on the planet, but it's being done a lot differently than it was this time four years ago when this event was held for the first time. Uh, we've got three host sites for this opening round, so four teams in each host site. Each team only plays three games. That means if you have a couple of bad days, you're done. And uh, the U.S. was on the verge of that, and they were able to hold on and get the victory over the Dominican Republic to move on to uh, the next round in Tokyo, which is called the Super Round. Uh, but it looked kind of dicey for a while there. And, and JP and I doing the broadcast, John Paul Morosi, he said as he was leaving to go down to the field in the ninth inning to do our postgame interview, he turned to me and said, I don't think this thing is over yet. And uh, the Dominican Republic got a run in the bottom of the ninth threatened, had the tying run at the plate, ended up not getting anything more across, and so the U.S. got the victory. But, uh, yeah, right now I would say they are a confident group. They're a comfortable group, but um, I'll be interested to see what it looks like when the stakes are ratcheted up, when you're playing in front of forty and 50,000 people in Japan coming up next week. Um, these are guys, you know, as Sam mentioned, there's five top 100 prospects on this roster. There's some really, really interesting talent. Obviously, Joe Adele is there. Uh, Alec Baum, you mentioned. Dalton Varsho, Xavier Edwards. Edwards um, and Andrew Vaughn, those are the five. They have all had their moments. Alec Baum started very slowly. He was 0 for his first eight. Then he doubles and homers in his first two at-bats in that must-win game against the Dominican Republic. Um, Joe Adele was 3 for his first 12 with six strikeouts. Then he comes through with a big RBI single for an insurance run in the eighth inning against the Dominican Republic. Um, We've seen big moments out of uh, guys who maybe you haven't heard quite as much about, like Mark Payton of the Oakland Athletics, who was outstanding this year with AAA Las Vegas in the PCL. Uh, Mark Payton had a leadoff homer to get the U.S. started on Monday against the Dominican Republic. So there are a lot of guys who you look at and think, man, if that guy can get going, this team's going to get scary. If that guy is going to get going, this team will be scary. Um, the, the U.S. I don't think has played 
to its ceiling in any of its games yet. That first game was a very good performance, and I think they probably would have said they still could have done more in that win over the Netherlands. Uh, but there is a lot of talent on that roster. Um, and that's really just talking about the, the position player side. Uh, on the pitching side, Wyatt Mills of the Seattle Mariners organization had maybe the most dominant uh, showing of any reliever that we saw for the first few days of this tournament. He threw two perfect innings, struck out a pair uh, in the win over the the DR. Um, There were some kind of strange circumstances that led to a a rough start for Tanner Houck of the Boston Red Sox system on Sunday. He walked out of the bullpen at 6.58, getting set to go for a 7 o'clock start time. There was a pretty lengthy ceremonial first pitch um, celebration of, uh, of some dignitaries who were there that night. He ended up not throwing his first pitch until 7-13, which for a starting pitcher, kind of a nightmare. And he gave up two in the first inning in that game. So I would imagine Tanner Houck will be rejuvenated when uh, when this team heads overseas. Uh, Parker Dunchy in the Oakland organization looked pretty good in his first couple innings against the Dominican Republic, allowed two unearned runs. Um, Then was lifted from that game. The U.S. was leading 7-2. He was lifted in the bottom of the third inning, which was kind of interesting. Only 42 pitches for him. Not sure if that was a a pitch limit type of thing or if Scott Brocious, who's managing this team, sort of felt like maybe the U.S. had it in hand. They aren't going to play another game for a week. Got to get some other guys some work. Uh, But this is a, a fascinating group. So, they are moving on. We're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, the United States is moving on at 2-1 and one through the opening round with Mexico. Two teams advancing out of each of these three groups. Uh, we know from Group B play... Uh, Chinese Taipei, which is the uh, the host of Group B, the team that represents the nation of Taiwan, uh, and Japan, those two teams are moving on. And Group C, Canada and Korea got wins yesterday, so they kind of have the inside track. Australia and Cuba are the other two teams in Group C. Uh, Puerto Rico and Venezuela, the other two in, uh, in Group B, who have been eliminated from Super Round contention. So it's going to be a very interesting mix. I think there is really one wild card spot to be had uh, of the the – Really, I mean, you could make the argument of the six teams moving on. You expect the U.S. to be there. Mexico, very heavy favorite to advance out of Group A. Uh, Group B, you certainly expect Japan and Chinese Taipei. Group C, you expect Korea. uh, But there is going to be a showdown between Australia and Canada. Um, The Australia-Cuba matchup is going to be interesting. Canada already with a win over Cuba. Canada is going to have to go to work against Korea and see what that looks like. So I think... That's going to be the the most fascinating thing to watch over the next couple of days to see who joins uh, the other four teams that have already moved on from uh, from the opening round. But it's uh, it's an exciting time. It's kind of the the November version of the World Baseball Classic, sort of. We're uh, a similarly structured tournament, not quite as large in terms of the field of teams, uh, but we're we're already having a bunch of fun. Yeah, and uh, out of the guys you have seen, because obviously there this was a hyped roster. We talked about it. Uh, you know, when the roster came out, five top 100 guys, whatever. But who who has surprised you the most that you saw that maybe you weren't looking forward to seeing, but over the last couple of days has been like, huh, I'm going to have to keep an eye on this guy going forward. Dalton Varsho, um, and he is scuffled at the plate a little bit to get started. He doesn't have a hit yet uh, in nine at-bats, but you see that guy in batting practice, and you see what he does in the field. He's already played a little bit in the outfield, which we've talked about, I feel like, just over the last few weeks um, that he's got a chance to maybe move behind or move from behind the plate, whereas his natural position is in the D-backs organization. A lot of people feel like his best future – would be as an outfielder um his athleticism is really really impressive uh i like dalton varsho a lot he puts on a really impressive bp round uh xavier edwards the athleticism for for that young guy who's two for five and i think could really be pushing himself into more of a starting capacity he didn't get his first start until uh that third game against the dr uh cj chatham of the boston red sox system had been in at second base but xavier edwards an undeniable talent um who I think the the U.S. is really going to lean on. He kind of provides a different dimension out of the bottom spot of the order, especially with his speed. He's a 70-grade speed guy. Um, those two, you know, Andrew Vaughn is is obviously very impressive. Drew Waters is very impressive, another guy that the U.S. likes. He struggled a little bit the first couple of games, didn't start against the Dominican Republic, but uh, the, the friendship that he has formed with Joe Adele in really short order has been super cool to watch and really fun. Um, 
Joe Adele, obviously, the things he does, you can tell immediately looking at him that he is the full package as a prospect. Alec Baum uh, scuffled, like I said, those first two days and then really started to come through at the plate uh, with three hits on the final evening of the opening round for the United States. Uh, It's a very, very talented group. Um, And, you know, somebody like Mark Payton. Mark Payton's 27 years old. He is not a quote-unquote prospect, but a guy who was a a relatively high draft selection in the New York Yankees organization, uh, then was traded to Oakland and last year busted out in the Pacific Coast League. He's a major league player, I think, for somebody. I'm not sure if it's going to be in Oakland, but definitely – a guy who provides a little bit of, of veteran blood in the lineup. You look up and down the U.S. order, and it seems like everybody is 20 to 22. Uh, Peyton, I believe, is 27. They've got a veteran catcher in Eric Kratz, uh, who at 39 is is kind of riding out what he hopes will be a, a trip to the Olympic Games and um, be a member of this roster and maybe latch on with a big league team for next year. Uh, if not, he's certainly very excited to be an Olympian if the U.S. is able to qualify out of this. Um, and on the pitching side, I mean, honestly, Wyatt Mills – was a joy to watch the other night. Uh, Noah Song has been really interesting to watch. Noah Song is kind of the most fascinating story maybe in this tournament being an active serviceman in the in the United States Navy uh, and having to get uh, basically a, a waiver from the Defense Department from the Navy to come down here and play in this tournament. Uh, and Clayton Andrews is a, a fun prospect as well. Clayton Andrews, who can play in the field, has a really, really good repertoire as a pitcher. Uh, he, in two outings, I think has thrown 14 pitches and has been perfect through two. Um, so he's another guy who maybe you don't know that much as of yet he's right now the 30th ranked prospect uh, in that Brewers system but there's some really fun talent on this roster and it's not just the U.S. roster I mean there are guys across these systems uh, the 7th ranked prospect in the D-backs organization is Geraldo Perdomo who is the leadoff man and the shortstop for the Dominican Republic Gilberto Celestino is the 20th ranked prospect in the Twins organization made one of the best catches I and anyone around me has ever seen uh, launching himself into the air on a dive going back to the warning track to rob Roger Bernardina yes that Roger Bernardina of a hit that would have tied a game between the Dominican Republic and the Netherlands uh, back on Sunday. Um, He's a fantastic player. There's uh, some younger talent on that DR roster that is really going to be names that you start to recognize soon. Ellerys Montero, who played third base for for the DR, is the fourth-ranked prospect in the Cardinals system. Um, There are some very promising guys on every one of these rosters. And uh, the U.S., certainly I think is it's fitting that it is a prospect laden team because I think if you uh, had to give a grade to the U.S. roster as a whole you might say high risk high reward because they are an extremely talented group Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything in the in the international game the international game is a different beast and especially once you get over to Japan you're playing in those atmospheres Um, they play a different style of ball the teams that you're going to see in the super round if if Korea joins Japan and Chinese Taipei and moving on um, you know that's three major league all-star squads basically that will be sent over uh certainly japan and korea and chinese taipei right now is on a a two tournament world championship streak they won u12s and u18s this year so feeling great about their national team program uh so it's japan is going to be very very fun i'm really excited to see what this u.s team can do and uh and what mexico can do as well mexico's got a a good group of guys and a, a really interesting group you look up and down that roster and think hey, i remember that guy i remember efren navarro from anaheim uh you know i remember matt clark some of these names that uh that you've come across in your baseball fandom that are now um, lacing it up for a national team so uh, it's a it's a great atmosphere it's a tremendous event to be a part of um, you can watch all of our broadcasts by the way uh, on Facebook Sports in the United States if you're tuned in from the U.S. everything will be streamed to Facebook Sports uh, USA Baseball has done a great job of uh, providing links to their games as we get uh, you know close to first pitch um, they've done an awesome job with all that and so get uh, get in touch and tune in and uh, we'll have some fun from Japan I will be at the airport in Guadalajara in 12 hours. And we are recording this at 3.30 in the afternoon. So that gives you an idea of how early my flight is, which uh, it's going to be great. Let me tell you. Yeah, but after you have to rush to the airport, you get to sit on a plane for 14 hours. Yeah, that's going to be outstanding. Get to go from here to Dallas and then uh, Dallas to Tokyo, which, yeah, I believe is 14 and a half hours, if if I'm remembering correctly, on my itinerary, which I actually have open right now. It says 14. Okay, so I can aim. (laughs) That's good. That's, you know, it's easy. When it's just 14, you don't have to round up. It's that extra half hour. That's what gets you, you know. 
Um, but yeah, I'm I'm very excited. I believe the U.S. and Mexico are already in the air. They were leaving uh, early this morning and flying out of Mexico City. So I, uh, along with some WBSC staff members, are going to uh, to Dallas. Uh, JP Morosi of MLB.com. The busiest man on earth. He had to go home to uh, to Michigan for a couple of days. Then he's going to Phoenix to cover the GM meetings, and then coming over to Tokyo for the last few days of the tournament. So that guy, uh, he, I don't, I'm not entirely sure that he's not bionic. So <laughs> he could be, he could be a robot. He's, he, but he is the best man. We had so much fun doing these broadcasts together, and uh, really excited to keep it going from from Japan. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited to be able to, you know, now that I'm back here and able to watch more games and listen to more games because I, I got to see some of the clips and, and seeing, you know, Alec Bohm go deep and, and Bobby Dahlbeck uh, hit a grand slam and all that. It, it was really fun to watch the highlights the next day. Um, but do catch this tournament if you get a chance at home. It's, it, it is super accessible. You don't have to go into the deep web. It's right there on Facebook. Um, it, it's super easy to find. And, you know, I, I see a lot of people this time of year tweeting out like, oh, this is my life without baseball. What do I do? Well, it's it's right there for you. Yeah. Uh, it's good you quality ball. To, you don't have it. to figure out what to do. We still got baseball for you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, do tune in to Tyler and the whole crew that's going out to Japan. Strike two this week. Milby season has arrived at MILB.com. We got a story up on the site written by one Samuel C. Dykstra about the uh, 2019 breakout Milby players as uh, a couple of guys who put themselves on the map. The Chicago Cubs, Robel Garcia selected by the fans, and the St. Louis Cardinals, Dylan Carlson, our staff award winner, breakout prospect already up on the site right now. Yeah, so I'm going to go a little bit deeper here on Carlson than I will Garcia. But um, just to start out, as the fan vote, I want to acknowledge that that the fans did a really fun job of picking Robel Garcia. Uh, you know, this was a guy who had not been in the minor leagues in any capacity uh, since 2013. And at that point, he had topped out at Class A. He was playing in the Indian system. He ends up moving to, I believe, Italy. Uh, doesn't come back until this past winter. Um, you know, was playing in, an, in a tournament in Arizona, uh, got to play against some guys in Instructs in Arizona. The Cubs liked what they saw out of him, signed him, sent him to double A for the year. So he skipped over high A, you know, six years later. Uh, and by the end of the year, he was in the major leagues. Uh, that is one way to define a breakout. That's a really fun way to b- define a breakout. It, it feels like a Hollywood script in a way, a uh, different version of the rookie, if you will. Um, so uh, it was fun to see Robel Garcia get acknowledged by the fans. But when we had our staff vote, you know, when we're talking about breakout prospects, uh, from a staff perspective, we focus more on the prospect bit. Who is somebody who is now firmly a prospect, somebody we're watching day in and day out, following their progress, and who may have been a little bit off the radar to begin the year? Dylan Carlson fits that to a T this year. He was the, an unranked top 100 prospect coming into the year. I think he was number eight in the Cardinal system. So he was on the radar, but not necessarily somebody we were looking at every day. He finishes it as MLB.com's number 24 overall prospect. Uh, let me just read you some of the accolades he picked up this year. He was named a Texas League midseason all-star. That's the first time he's ever been a midseason all-star in his four minor league seasons. He was named a Texas League postseason all-star. He was a Texas League MVP. He was a futures game selection this year. He was supposed to go to the Arizona Fall League. They ended up taking him back because they said, hey, listen, uh, 489 at-bats is plenty. We don't need you doing anything else. But he was good enough to get that chance to go to the AFL. Uh, In terms of what led to that breakout, why we are talking about him as a top prospect now, his power broke out in a big way this year. His previous career high for home runs was 11. This year he hit 26 between AA Springfield and AAA Memphis. Uh, he slugged 542. Last year, he slugged 390. In the story, I talked to him about this, and I wanted to know where did the power come from. He said power's always been a part of his game. He's a switch hitter. He checks in at six foot three, 205 pounds. Somebody who should be hitting for power. Uh, maybe not necessarily in this way because he hadn't shown it yet. But what he said he needed to do was be more selective. He was earlier in his career. He was getting a little bit fooled early. If he knew a breaking ball was coming, he was like, okay, at least I know this is coming. I'm going to try to hit it. 
instead of listening, looking for what would be his pitch, what is something he could drive? Once he settled into that, instead of just trying to hit whatever came, that's where the power really came. And, and you know, getting out of the Florida State League last year, he spent most of the year at Class A Advanced Palm Beach. That's certainly going to help the power as well. Um, but beyond that, he went from eight stolen bases last year to 20 this year. The Cardinals wanted him to be more aggressive on the base pass. A lot of scouts will say he has maybe out average to slightly above average speed, but he really took advantage of times to run, picking his spots. He, he talked about this as well, knowing that relievers typically take a little bit longer to come to the plate. He stole a lot of bases off relievers. That type of baseball IQ is something that people have been talking about with Carlson for a long time. Now he's matching that IQ with the results. Uh, the, the crux of the story that I wrote was basically that this isn't the first time Carlson has kind of fit the breakout mold. Uh, going into the 2016 draft, he was coming out of Elk Grove High School in California. I think it's around the Sacramento area. His dad was the coach. He's been around baseball basically his whole life. Uh, he even said, you know, when I was eight, I thought I was going to be a major leaguer. And, and I'm not joking you in a way that like, oh, hey, you know, I remember being eight and thinking I was going to be Nomar Garcia Parra or Pedro Martinez. He actually saw the future in which he could be a major league player. Um, he's just been a baseball rat his entire life. And then, you know, did a couple other sports, played football. Um, but going into the 2016 draft, MLB.com didn't even rank him as a top 200 draft prospect that year. I think Baseball America had him at number 92. Uh, you know, he was just kind of overlooked in that way. He was young. He wasn't turning 18 until October, so he was still 17. He played a lot of first base in high school. Uh, given his size and athleticism, a lot of teams wanted to see him play the outfield. If you didn't get a chance to see him play the outfield, you might not rank him that high. Uh, the Cardinals end up coming calling it, I think, number 33 in the first round. That was the same pick they got for losing John Lackey uh, that offseason. And... Uh, you know, they slowly watched him develop. One, what they liked about him was, you know, the potential to play the outfield. Now he's a center fielder and a pretty good one at that. Uh, it, it just, it all really came together. He talked about the struggles that he had at Class A Peoria, Class A Advanced Palm Beach. He was uh, maybe a little bit above average with the bat, but nothing that's going to break down the door, make him look like a top 100 prospect. It really happened this year where he said, okay. What happened with those struggles? Why was I doing that? And then learned those lessons, applied them this year, starting at spring training, where he was a major league invite uh, to spring training. Got around some guys, learned how to look at video, learned how to learn from his mistakes, basically, and apply that to the field. And now he's one of the best outfield prospects in the game. And we're looking forward to 2020. And everybody expects him to be a big part of the the st louis outfield at some point is it going to be in center field is it going to be in one of the corners we'll have to see but he has experience at all three spots now and the fact that he is a bona fide center fielder makes you feel more comfortable that he could move to left or right given the range he's shown there given the the reads he has shown as well uh it's a really really exciting breakout for him uh the cardinals keep doing this with guys it, it, it's it's not a huge surprise that somebody from the Cardinal system is our breakout prospect of the year. Um, but it, I am much more excited about Dylan Carlson now than I was in April. And that's how you kind of define a breakout. That's why he won our staff vote. And that brings us to strike three. Big congratulations to Royce Lewis, the Minnesota Twins top prospect, who was named the Arizona Fall League MVP while we were uh, away from our podcast duties with you. Um, a fantastic season for Lewis, who uh, over 22 games batted 353, 411, 565, with three homers and 20 runs batted in. Uh, and uh, a dude who we know is going to be a stud, but uh, just continues to confirm it. Yeah, no, and this was somebody who we kind of pegged as needing a strong Arizona Fall League for sure. Uh, Lewis coming in, you know, top overall pick a couple years ago. Uh, the tools have always been there. He was a really gifted hitter last year between Class A Cedar Rapids and Class A Advanced Port Myers. This year didn't put it together at all. Uh, batted just 236 during the regular season with a 661 OPS between Fort Myers and AA Pensacola. Uh, it seemed like he was tweaking too many things, trying to make too many things happen. Uh, once he tried to simplify, get back to what he did, instead of trying to make a leap, just realize, hey, this is the player you are. Just try to repeat that. It seems like things certainly settled in. And then to do that at the Fall League was 
was really special for sure. Uh, you know, I, th- I think he finished it in the top three in total bases, in extra base hits, uh, in OPS, uh, a bunch of different things. He actually en- ended up fin- hitting 353 with a 411 OBP, a 565 slugging percentage. So that's a 975 OPS. That OPS ended up ranking third uh, behind Andres Jimenez and, and Greg Dykeman, who we've talked about before. He had three homers, had nine doubles. Uh, those 48 total bases that he had were actually second behind Dykeman's 52. Uh, and he did all of this while moving around. I think he only played one game at shortstop for Salt River. He played some third base. He played some second base. He played some center field. I know the prospect industry is split on what should Royce Lewis be defensively. The Twins want him to be a shortstop, but they also wanted him to get the at-bats uh, during the fall league. And if that meant him getting to, moving to third, him getting some time at, at second, him getting some time at center field, and just getting you know used to those positions at the same time, that was going to be a win-win. The fact that he turned things around with the bat is – is especially great because we kind of think of the AFL as double A extended double A is where he ended the year with Pensacola uh, to see him take off this way is really special last year's MVP was Keston Hira not saying there's exactly a through line here but you know, if you are going to do well in the fall league it's usually a pretty good harbinger of success going forward um, so you know if you look at just the regular season it can be tough to justify Lewis as you know a top 10 prospect in the game um but right now he sits at number nine the speed is there the bat i think is still there as he showed and this kind of settles the debate a little bit more it'll be interesting to see how things settle um but for him to get a little bit of momentum going into the offseason be named the best player in the entire fall league uh certainly you know gives him that extra boost and you know we're going to be talking about him for a little while longer but maybe a 2020 arrival time is a little bit easier to see now with the twins than it was you know six eight weeks ago so big congratulations again to royce lewis and that'll wrap up three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show Fully into the offseason, it is now uh, hot stove season or uh, stove of varying temperature season uh, based on the last couple offseasons in Major League Baseball. But uh, we are getting into it now on the first full week of November. The uh, days have officially wrapped up for Major League Baseball with its quiet period after the World Series. Uh, And this time of year, there's some anxiety if you're a minor league prospect because there's always the chance that some big deal is going to swing from your organization and it's going to take you with it and send you off to somebody else. Sam's got a great piece up, Toolshed, on the site right now uh, from Tuesday about what this year's offseason minor league effects could be. Yeah, so this isn't so much about like minor league free agents and trying to look at the minor league hot stove. It's it's like Tyler said, uh, you know, any move that happens in the major leagues has ripple effects. That's just the way things go. And, and with our focus on prospects and the minors, you know, when everybody else is talking about Garrett Cole, where is he going to sign? Part of my thought process is, okay, great. What if he signs somewhere? Who is the prospect who's losing out on a chance or uh, has a little bit more of an uphill battle or maybe he signed somewhere that is fairly pitching thin. So that that's what the crux of the story was. Uh, we'll start there with Garrett Cole um, because, you know, maybe the most dominant pitcher in baseball these days. We, he certainly showed that during the Astros run. Didn't end in a World Series title like he hoped. Um, but it, it's difficult for me to fathom how a pitcher could go into free agency with a stronger case than Garrett Cole currently has. Now, given what his price tag is going to be, that you would imagine that all the big clubs are going to be in on him. We're talking about the Giants, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Phillies. Anybody who expects to contend next year should be putting in a call to Scott Boris about Garrett Cole and saying, like, here's what we have to offer here. Uh, you know, if it's the Dodgers, that would be fascinating. Uh, obviously, the Dodgers fell short again this year in their pursuit of a World Series title, they can't keep spinning the tires on what they have. They need somebody to push them over the edge. Maybe that's Cole. Okay, if that happens, what happens to Dustin May? What happens to Tony Gonsolin? Um, Josiah Gray finished this year at Double A. You know, they have a really deep system at, as things stand right now. Um, Cole would be their ace. You know, apologies to Clayton Kershaw, but he would be their ace. And 
you know, so everybody's going to move down a peg there. What what does that mean for Dustin May? We know he got a little bit of bullpen time. Does he continue to work out of the bullpen? Does Gonsolin continue to do the same thing? Does Gray look at potentially maybe knocking down the door in the first half to, hey, maybe wait until August or September? That'll be really fascinating. Uh, some of these other clubs, it, it doesn't quite have the same effects. The Yankees and Phillies have some good pitching prospects. You know, I'm thinking about Davey Garcia and Spencer Howard. Both of those guys finished the year in the high minors. Maybe they can work something out and find a role, but I don't see, you know, it, it doesn't have the same depth issue there. The Giants don't have much minor league pitching these days. Logan Webb might be their top prospect, pitching prospect, but he had eight starts in the majors last year at a 5-2-2 ERA. Not a huge sample, but nothing in the stuff would make you think that he is going to be, you know, a three-starter in the majors. Uh, so maybe the Giants kind of chase that. The interesting one to me is going to be the Angels. The Angels are definitely a better system than they used to be, but their depth now is in position players. Joe Adele, Brandon Marsh, who we've had on the show, Jamai Jones. Um, you know, that is where they've kind of built it up. Their actual top pitching prospect right now is Patrick, Patrick Sandoval, who I think checks in at number nine. Not exactly d- deep there. He had his own severe struggles in the majors. Uh, Cole could be a huge boon for the Angels. They, they're going to have to spend. But, you know, they've spent a lot of years looking up at the Astros. They need to make a move here. The pitcher they need to kind of fix after Otani, you know, graduated. So, you know, he didn't really play much in the minors, but he was a prospect. After he graduated, there has been nobody who's been a clear, hey, this is a guy who could be in our major league rotation for a long time. Uh, maybe they need to go spend money. And, and find that guy in Cole. Uh, one other one I'm kind of looking at is Steven Strasburg. And I'm looking at that through the lens of what about what are the Padres going to do? Uh, the Padres have kind of been pretty open in that they have a mandate to be good next year. And I mean good in, with a capital G. Uh, you know, they've invested in Eric Hosmer. They've invested in Manny Machado. They have this good system now, are, how are they going to cash in on that? Are they going to spend even more money to bring in somebody like Strasburg and anchor that rotation, uh, you know, kind of take over the top spot from a Chris Paddock, who they developed incredibly well, obviously. Um, and, you know, Strasburg could anchor it for now. Mackenzie Gore's not far away. Luis Patino's not far away. Um, that would be really fun to see them build from that way. Or do they look at their really deep system and say, hey, we don't have to spend money, but we can use – the, the prospects that we have in trades and build the major league team from that way. What strategy are they going to use? Uh, that'll be fascinating. But I think the Padres should be active players this year and not just sit on their hands and hope, hey, you know, maybe Mackenzie Gore will take that jump. Luis Arias will turn things around. We'll get a full year of Fernando Tatis Jr. That'll be enough to contend in the NL West. Probably not if the Dodgers are going to be as aggressive as we expect. Um, you know, one other one I want to mention, or two other ones I want to mention real quick. Anthony Rendon, it seems like he's being tied to mostly the Nationals. They're going to try to bring him back as they should. You win a National or a World Series title with the team, you should try to bring everybody back as best you can. And him being the superstar of that team, I love Max Scherzer, but Rendon was probably the best player of that team. And that includes Juan Soto. Um, you know, they should try to bring him back. If they can't, and if a lot of teams realize, hey, this is arguably the best third baseman in the game, we need to lock that down for a long time and not worry about it anymore. Uh, what does that mean for Carter Keboom? Carter Keboom has played mostly shortstop. He came up for a very brief time in the majors last year, scuffled both offensively and defensively, went back down to Fresno, ended up being a Pacific Coast League end-of-season all-star. Is still incredibly young. I think he's only 22 he got most of his time at short, got some time at second, very limited time at third. But his arm is above average. He's got a decent range for third base. You know, if Rendon goes out the other way, do they try to go after a Mike Moustakis or a Josh Donaldson and say, hey, we need a superstar at that position? Or do they give Kibum more of a look at the hot corner in spring and say, hey, you know, we know you're stuck behind Trey Turner right now at short let's try to get you out of that shadow with with more time at third base uh he should be a part of their long-term plans he is still a very good hitter uh and that would be interesting to see how that kind of breaks down i still think they want rendon 
at third base for the long term. Maybe they use Keyboom at second base. There, there's going to be a bit of a hole there as well. But uh, that'll be fascinating to see how the Nats kind of treat that situation. And the last one I'll touch on is the Mookie Betts scenario. J.D. Martinez choosing to opt in. The Red Sox trying to get below that $208 million threshold. Doesn't make a lick of sense to me. You know, this is a team that is a year removed from winning the World Series. And like I said, if you win the World Series, you want to bring as many guys back as possible. Mookie Betts is a superstar, one of the best players they, that franchise has ever developed in its entire history. Um, he has one year remaining. This is your time to maybe cash in if you're looking to build up the system. And let's be frank, the Red Sox system is not very good right now. It's got Tristan Cassis. It's got Tanner Houck. It's got... Uh, Noah Song, like Tyler mentioned, who has some promise but some questions in the air about when is he going to be a full-time professional pitcher. That needs to be built up. But at the same time, this is a club that expects to contend year in, year out. Uh, getting Losing bets, one-year bets, for maybe you know a top 50 prospect and some additional throw-ins isn't going to reverse the system in a way that it needs if that's your goal. Um, you know, yeah, you'll get a, a headliner other than Tristan Cassis, uh, but it's not going to be enough to get the, the Red Sox back into a temp, top 10 system by any means just because the team that acquires movie bets is only getting one year of him. Um, so my hope is that the Red Sox don't trade Mookie Betts, hold on to him, try to build around him for one year, more year, maybe talk to an extension, something like that. Um, but, you know, if they do make that trade, what prospect can they bring in and what hope can they bring to that system? Is it just going to be somebody around the 50 range? The, the closest trade I could think of is Paul Goldschmidt uh, last year from the Cardinals or from the D-backs to the Cardinals. He brought back Carson Kelly, Luke Weaver and Andy Young. Uh, Luke Weaver and Carson Kelly were two major league ready pieces and they'll be under control for a long time but neither of them are franchise altering moves are, is that what the Red Sox are going to be looking at we're going to have to wait and see do they trade Mookie Betts at all do they try to trade some of these other guys maybe a J.D. Martinez maybe a Jackie Bradley Jr. or David Price but uh, yeah that'll be fascinating as well it's not just free agency signings and knocking guys down a peg it's these other trades and opportunities to get open up not just for major leaders for but for minor league prospects as well so keep it locked to milb.com and everywhere else as the hot stove and the major league and minor league off seasons get uh deeper and deeper and we get closer and closer to the winter meetings all kinds of stuff remains ahead benjamin hill joins the show coming up next So much to discuss with Benjamin Hill, who we welcome in on this week's episode of the show before the show. Hi, Ben. Hello, Tyler, and hello, Sam Dykstra, sitting to my left in conference room 5A, which is like a futuristic space pod in the middle of the floor. Yeah, we're, we're coming to you live from this set of Alien, I think, or maybe Aliens. I don't know. It's been a while since I watched either one. 5A, yeah. also uh, Jerry's apartment number in Seinfeld, which I always found weird because he was at the end of a hall. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we're strange. There's no we're in the middle of a hall. We are. Yeah, there's no reason why this one is a we actually passed five D on getting to a. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so envision that in your heads as you're listening to the rest. of It's very important. Learn along with this. us. We're all writers. <laughs> we need to establish the scene. We're telling the story. Um, well, let's dive into it. A new identity released uh, this week as we are recording on Wednesday the 6th. The Missoula Osprey are no more. And the Missoula Paddleheads, we welcome into the Arizona D-backs organization. Uh, just a rebranded franchise. Uh, but uh, very moose-centric logos and uh, a cool new look for Missoula. Yeah. Uh, we are now in uh, logo Vember. Um, yeah. As uh, as you guys recall, uh, we've talked about in previous Logo Vembers. We've uh, we've um, acknowledged when it is Logo Vember, and this is the first podcast episode of Logo Vember, and the first uh, major announcement of Logo Vember, which I will now stop calling Logo Vember, uh, starting right now, was uh, on November the fourth. This past Monday, Missoula, previously the Osprey became, as Tyler mentioned, the Paddleheads. Um, it's a brandiose design. Um, Osprey had been the team's name since they moved to uh, Missoula in 1999 from Lethbridge, Alberta, 
for those keeping score at home. Uh, but the team moved to Missoula in 1999, uh, became the Osprey. Uh, you know, when I visited Missoula in, in 2017, I wrote a story about the significance of the Osprey name in which there were actually actual Osprey living at the ballpark uh, in specially constructed nests. And they were monitored by researchers at the University of Montana, and they fed off trout in the Clark River right behind the ballpark. Uh, so that was a really cool aspect of the Osprey name. But um, also, if you look at the Osprey logo, you can see that definitely a change was needed. You can argue whether um, you know you wanted to keep the Osprey name or have a full rebrand. Obviously, the team with with the full rebrand, the Missoula paddle heads. And uh, you know, when you look at this logo set, I mean, I think what's going to jump in your head first. I mean, it's kind of front and center there. It's in the primary logo is a moose. So it's the Missoula paddle heads, and you see a moose. Well, you know, there's not too many moose in Missoula, although there are some in the, you know, surrounding area for sure in West Montana. But also a paddle is a name for a moose antler. So that's sort of the justification with paddle heads and, uh, you know, having the moose in the brand. And it's also, a, you know, a, a, an example of Montana wildlife. But then paddle, in addition to being a moose antler, also serves to recognize, uh, you know, outdoor activity that uh, people in Missoula in that area um, you know, take part in a lot. It's a beautiful area. You know, it can be really cold there for a lot of the year, but in the summer, there's a lot of kayaking, um, rafting, hiking, uh, climbing, what have you. So paddleheads is also a reference to, you know, being on the Missoula rivers and uh, taking advantage of the outdoor activity. Because if you do talk to members of the Osprey front office, they'll tell you, um, you know, they're former Osprey. Oh, yes. The Missoula front office, now the Paddleheads front office. Thank you, Sam. Uh, you know, the, their biggest competition isn't isn't another sports entity. It's not the local movie theater. It is their biggest competition is just the beauty of Missoula in the summer. They're a short season team and they have to compete essentially with, uh, you know, fans who are going hiking and camping and paddling and, you know, paddling canoes and kayaks and going rafting. And, and uh, so it's, it's such a big part of the lifestyle. So they're celebrating that. The Paddleheads. Brandios creation. Uh, they'll make their on-field debut in June of 2020. And one of the things I really enjoyed about this rebrand is it seemed fairly popular. Um, Paddleheads, it's one word, right? Capital P, capital H. It's its what we would call the uh, a compound word. Compound word. So it's one word, but you have the uh, capital P, capital H. With an intercap. Yeah, intercap. intercap. There we go. Um, but it, it seemed like a lot of people seem to really like this. Moose isn't something that's around baseball that much outside of the Seattle Mariners mascot. Uh, it seems to fit in with Montana. I don't know. What kind of reaction did you see? I, it seemed positive to me. Uh, I think I saw in the – the national landscape, people who pay attention to such things, uh, I'm sure many of our listeners pay attention to such things. I found that it, it seemed to be getting a very positive reaction. In Missoula proper, it did not seem to be getting a positive reception, although, uh, as we almost always point out, that's almost always the case when a team name is changed. The initial reaction is a community that is used to a certain name, hears something new, especially something that doesn't immediately make sense and they hate it. Uh, I think that's to be expected and you know we'll see uh, how perceptions change uh, in the long period of time between now Logo November and uh, their opening day in, in mid June, um, but yeah, I think it's getting a good reception, you know, from people who are just seeing it online or Twitter or reading the MILB.com story. Um, you know, there's a lot going on. There's, um, you know, really orange and green color scheme. There's some Easter eggs uh, in the logo set. The um, the moose's eye in the primary logo is actually an outline of Missoula's Mount Jumbo and Mount Sentinel with the sun or the moon beyond it. So you get a kind of you get a, a real Easter egg with that. There's an alternate logo in which the paddle bat, which is kind of in a lot of the different logos, but the paddle bat is combined with some other kind of a river detritus to form a peace sign. A broken and a, paddle yeah, bat. A broken paddle bat uh, forms a peace sign. That's a reference to Missoula is kind of more, uh, especially by M Montana standards, more kind of hippie uh, left wing uh, blue circle and a red state kind of culture. And there uh, had been a famous peace sign on one of the mountains displayed for many years. So that's just kind of like uh, – a Missoula, not joke, but a Missoula in reference. Uh, a lot of people seem to like, I, I believe, what will be a uniform patch. The logos have, or the uniforms have not been unveiled yet, but a patch in which the uh, the moose is seen in silhouette in the background uh, fishing, and he's hooking a trout. So, uh, you know, props to that. Uh, and, and that patch is in the shape of the state of Montana. I think that's a hat, too, isn't it? 
might be an alternative hat. It's almost certainly on, yeah. on hats as well. Like, we'll see how it all... I thought about buying that hat. Right. I, I have right. no connection to Montana, and yet I love the scene that that one's painting. Yeah, I think that's probably my favorite, Mark. But there's uh, the primary logo, and, uh, you know, f- well, we have four other logos featured in the story. Uh, Brandios unveiled a few others as well. Uh, one that says Zoo Town, which I guess is a, a reference for uh, a Missoula nickname. Uh, but there's a lot going on uh, in in this branding. Uh, you know, there are some Easter eggs. There's a pretty full story behind it. Um, and, you know, one thing that in talking to Jason Klein of Brandios, as well as Taylor Rush, uh, who works as director of marketing for the Paddleheads, you know, one thing they both brought up, and I think it's just important to keep in mind when you see these team names, and sometimes they're kind of weird. Yes, sometimes teams want to be weird, uh, you know, to get attention and be a little irreverent. But also, we are in a landscape where so much is trademarked. Sometimes you have to go pretty far off the beaten path to oh, find a name that is not trademarked. And I think that's one of the reasons we have paddleheads because you keep you have this basic idea of where you want the direction to go, and you're like, "How about this?" Ah, no. You know, you start typing in the URL, um, you know, you, you get in touch with minor league baseball's legal folks in St. Pete. They'll do some, uh, you know, additional legwork. And uh, it is tough uh, in this day and age to find a non-trademarked name and logos that you can really run wild with and completely own, uh, you know, as your own. Well, when we were talking about our last uh, branding, you know, Canapolis going to the Cannonballers, some of that was motivated by the fact that, you know, they didn't own their previous name, the Intimidators. That's owned by Dale Earnhardt. Uh, Dale Earnhardt's widow and so you know they were saying yes we do love this name but we also can't we don't own it so we can't confidently market market around it and I think that's just something to consider when there's these new team names announced Uh, just keeping in mind uh, you know how many options are off the table preemptively because of previously existing trademarks and it's interesting to note um, you kind of you know, made the mention that the biggest competition for a team in a market like that is just the outdoors. They've got a logo of uh, their now logo character in two different sports that aren't baseball. I mean, he's fishing in one or she. Uh, the moose is fishing in well, one no, I and will, rafting in another. I can. I appreciate your gender inclusivity, but uh, it is only male moose ah, that because have of the antlers. Antlers. Correct. So. I should know that. I'm from Colorado. <laughs> I, should, I should know these things. We have we have cool wildlife. Um, well, congratulations to the, Mil- the Missoula Paddleheads, who are uh, the newest named member of uh, of the Pioneer League and are set for 2020. And uh, we move from that to an upcoming story from uh, Rookie Ball all the way to AAA. Uh, Gwinnett is the subject of an upcoming story that Ben's got on the fridge. We all know about the freeze, uh, the Atlanta mask or the Atlanta uh, promotional character who just flies by people the fastest dude in in all of baseball um although did he finally race billy hamilton weren't they going to do that at one time i'm not sure if that happened or not the freeze <laughs> did lose at least once this year yeah, i can't remember the yeah. circumstances uh, i'm not sure if he raced billy hamilton but yeah the freeze is uh virtually unbeatable even with the uh, five second head start uh, that, that he gets and Gwinnett has The Fridge, and uh, The Fridge is a much different promotional uh, uh, venture for the Gwinnett Stripers. Tell us about the story coming up on The Fridge. From yeah, Miami. well, The Fridge, uh, Gwinnett Stripers, you know, this is their first year of The Stripers. They were trying to do some new creative things. And, uh, you know, if you follow minor league baseball this season, uh, you probably ended up seeing The Fridge because he went viral a few times. Uh, the Fridge is the alter ego of... Uh, Nino Dandan, who was hired uh, just before the 2019 season as a corporate partnerships trainee. And, uh, you know, he just said, hey, I had this idea, you know, you know, we're a Braves parent, you know, we're a Braves farm team. They have the freeze. How about I be the fridge? And uh, Nino is six foot two, roughly 300 pounds, big guy, and he embraces it. And uh, so his whole premise was, you know, the freeze gives people a head start and comes back and wins. The fridge, you know, I'll go out there, you know, wearing tights and, uh, you know, looking like a, uh, you know, an absurd superhero, uh, a superhero who has let himself go. You know, I'll get a head start <laughs> because I look so out of shape. And then uh, I'll lull my opponents into a false sense of complacency and come back at the end and win because, spoiler alert, I'm actually deceptively fast for a man my size. So you might have seen uh, the fridge. Uh, throughout the season he went viral several times with some of those races kind of becoming an everyman's hero uh by you know looking like a 
guy who's 300 pounds, yeah. but also having a surprising amount of athleticism. Uh, so, hey, it's it's November, low November in some circles. Um, but I, I decided to write about the fridge now because, you know, he won a Golden Bobblehead Award and, uh, you know, gave him some mentions in that. And then we're doing the Milby Awards on MILB.com now. And he the fridge won a Milby Award. So I said, you know, why don't you know, go into depth? Well, we keep sort of incidentally mentioning the fridge. Let's go into some depth on the origins of this character. And uh, one thing that I talked to Nino and uh, Aaron O'Donnell, who is the team, the Striper's assistant general manager. And uh, one thing that Nino, you know, read all about it. I got a, a, an article coming out uh, Thursday, same day you'll hear this podcast if you're on top of things. And um, Nino told me. You know, he played uh, – he was a nose tackle in high school football but, you know, just couldn't really move very well and didn't really display much athletic ability. But in college at George Mason University, he played Quidditch, you know, the Harry Potter what? room game. And that is where huh. he learned that he is actually more athletic than he ever thought and where he was finding that – um, you know, opposing uh, Quidditch teams, <laughs> collegiate Quidditch teams were underestimating him and he was kind of a secret weapon. Who uh, among us hasn't had that experience? Yeah, so his uh, Quidditch experiences, talk about an American story. Uh, <laughs> Eno Dandan, uh, through his Quidditch collegiate experiences, created that into a viral racing minor league baseball superstar named the fridge and it all ties in together so uh you know there'll be plenty of pictures and video in the story and if you uh, i think it's a fun one to kind of learn about how these things come about and how they're sustained and uh and uh you know see some funny videos of a, a large man racing and winning more often than not that is pretty great stuff, and it's coming up to the site at MILB.com. You can find all of Ben's stuff at MILB.com slash Ben's Biz. He is on Twitter at Ben's Biz and on Instagram at the Ben's Biz. And, uh, Ben, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. It's been great talking to you today on this, my birthday. Oh, oh <laughs> what? Happy birthday! Oh, I'm so I didn't know. I blame I, Sam. I, I didn't know. To... I'm not in the office. Well, no, the, the, Ben distracted me with 5A talk. Like... <laughs> I meant to do this whole introduction about, you know, I was going to say how old Ben is, but not really say how old Ben is. And uh, keep people 25. Guessing. We all are. All of us. Yeah. Yes. On this podcast, 25. Consistently 25. Is yeah. The, the other name for this podcast. But, uh, <laughs> yes. Ben, ben has completed another circle around the sun. Ben, happy birthday. Thank you, Tyler, and thank you, Sam. That wasn't to call anyone out. That was just to congratulate myself on a happy birthday and another job well done. Uh, More like birthday, Vember. Am I right, folks? Ah, uh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you, Sam. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. I am uh, headed off on a plane in like 13 and a half hours. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, next one will be from across an ocean. We've got such wide-ranging podcasting locales. Yeah, so w what is your uh, strategy going to be, by the way, for the plane? <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm terrible. I'm terrible at sleeping on planes. Terrible. Um, I... Uh, just going coach you know so i i'm six one so i'm not a i'm not a huge human being but i'm tall enough that it's impossible to get comfortable on planes so that's a pain and uh i don't i don't know i bought a new travel pillow i'm sure it won't help i don't know why i wasted money on it and uh it's you know i don't have any sleep aids of any kind i probably should have like gone to a doctor and been like hey can you give me something to knock me out on a plane i don't know i don't know how it works so undoubtedly you want to know what my plan is undoubtedly i will sit uh at my laptop doing work on uh a couple of stories i got coming up for milb.com i talked to andy mckay the mariners director of player development last week about uh some names for our organization all-star story for the m system which is coming up in early december uh, i also have other broadcasting commitments that are getting started uh, it's college basketball season i gotta start doing stuff for that and i gotta be doing research on four other super round teams for uh for premier 12 so it's gonna be i'm not gonna sleep <laughs> I'm not going to sleep. I already know it. It's going to be terrible. It'll be 14 hours of me sitting on an airplane. Uh, if you have recommendations on things I should download, what do, you got anything? Netflix? Hulu? Ne Hulu you can't download. Netflix and Amazon Prime you can download, correct? Yeah. No, I would say uh, uh, the new season of BoJack has started. And I don't okay. know if we talked okay. about BoJack. 
But um, um, I uh, I enjoy BoJack. I haven't gone through the whole thing yet. I think I'm in like season I don't know two, three, something like that. I did finally do Fleabag, which you were the first person to recommend Fleabag to me like a year ago. So you were way ahead of the Fleabag curve. Yes. Um, I did finally knock out Fleabag. Um, I watched El Camino. Uh, I there's a bunch of stuff on Netflix that like I've always had. Oh man, I should watch that on a plane. Like you know, like things like <laughs> Mudbound. You know, like Mudbound came out. That looked amazing, and I was like, when am I gonna sit at home and watch Mudbound? I should probably watch that on a flight or something like that. Um, international Netflix, as we've discussed uh, a couple of times on the podcast, has movies and shows that we don't get on American Netflix. So like I finished the most recent season of Better Call Saul on my last trip. Um, they also, uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall is on it. And I watched that like four times on my last trip because it's one of the greatest and most underrated comedies of the last 20 years. But uh, I got to make myself do so. I can't just sit and watch Forgetting Sarah Marshall again, Sam. I can't. <laughs> Despite well, how much I need now. to forget people named Sarah Marshall, uh, I, I, I can't. I can't do it. Well, watch Mudbound. Mudbound is very good if you okay. need somebody to back you up on that. I, I watched it. For, I am the type of person who watched Mudbound from home. I will fully admit that. Okay. All right. And, uh, no, it was a very – I won't say it's an enjoyable experience because it talks yeah, about – Yeah, because it looks rough. Yeah. It's the American South and, and the racial divisions contained within and you know, at, at a rough time in our history. But uh, it is an educational and important movie, and I'll say that with a, a capital I and a capital M. Okay. So, yeah, watch yeah, Mudbound. Find, find things like that. Okay. All right. Good. Well, I'm going to do it. Um, you can get in touch with the show, podcast at MILB.com. Sam is on Twitter at Sam Dykes or MILB. I am at Tyler Mon. Again, you can find uh, all of our stuff there and at the site, MILB.com slash podcast. Uh, and shameless plug, you can tune in to all of our premier 12 broadcasts on Facebook Sports. And that's all. For Sam, I'm Tyler. I'll talk to you next week. 